Thank you for downloading from Father's House City Ministries, Portland, Oregon. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Father's House City Ministries at www.fathershouseportland.org. everyone doing? Good. So, um, I don't know, maybe you guys didn't notice, but Danina and I weren't here last week. Um, we heard it was uh, just an absolute amazing time. We missed you all. We were uh, invited earlier this year to go do a uh, prophetic training weekend at a church in Albany called Jesus Pursuit, and then we stayed over and uh, ministered at their church on Sunday morning, and it was just a powerful, powerful weekend, and so that's where we were at. Um, I just want to bring up something really interesting. So I don't, some of you may know, some of you may not know that Danine and I had actually have been doing this type of thing uh, for actually quite a, quite a number of years. It's been a couple of years since we've done it really consistently, going to different churches in the Northwest and around the U.S. and uh, doing trainings in the prophetic. And um, and uh, it's just one of those things that just really we, we love doing. And we just get energized by going and just seeing the body of Christ equipped and raised up and trained. Uh, but it's been a while since we've done it like consistently. And so uh, when we first got invited, we were like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's go. You know, we're really excited about it. But over these last few weeks, I was just like, uh, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to miss Father's house. You know, it's, it's good. And, and there's a lot of prep with these weekends because it's not like cookie, cookie cutter where we just like, here's our stuff, take it or leave it. It's the same stuff. We just really adapt it to what the Holy Spirit wants to do that weekend. And so, and you have to be ready like to go in like a half a dozen different directions. So it's like you're prepping for almost 10 different messages over a weekend and you could be speaking a ton of different times and you just have to be ready, have to have some ground for the Lord to kind of move through you. And so it's a lot of work. And then I was starting to think about, man, that's going to be super busy weekend. It's just like full, it's tiring and it's like uh, exhausting. And I just kept on like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And, and uh, through all the, all the prep work, I was like, I don't know if I'm really getting a whole lot for this. And I started believing something. I started believing like, well, that was a good season when we did that, but maybe it's just not for us anymore. And I was just thinking about that and kind of processing it. Just, you know, you have all these, um, like, things you go through. And, and I started believing this feeling. And even as we were driving down on Friday, uh, or driving down, yeah, it's down below us. Uh, I was, uh, I told Danine, I turned to her, I'm like, you know what? I don't know, you know, it, you know it's going to be good, but I think we've lost, or I think I've lost the grace for this. I think it's just, you know, it was a good season, be, you know, before, and, and now, you know, this is a good season now. I'm happy with just here and all that, and, and you know, you're just, and uh, I'm like, okay, God, if that's what you have, that's great. And so we show up to the event, we're there, and the first night we have worship, and in the middle of worship, I don't know what happened, I just got like smacked up. And the Lord just, and it, was, it wasn't like a really, it was just like wake-up call. And all of a sudden, I recognized what happened. It was a complete lie that the enemy spoke to me, and I believed. 
And it wasn't like a real like ruthless, like like you're a horrible person or anything like that. It was just a subtle little shift of like, that was before and that is not for what you have in the future. And so it's an interesting thing. And I, I bring this up today because, you know, we've been talking over the last few weeks about this war that we have, a war on our mindsets. And this war is being waged all the time. And the enemy is very tricky at what he does. He doesn't, like I've said this a number of times, he doesn't come with us with horns and a pitchfork and says, you should do that. He's very subtle. Oftentimes he comes in our own little voice and our ideas of what we think. And just the little idea of like, that was good before, but it's not for the future. Or it's not for now. I believe that little thing, and it really affected me until that wake-up call, and I realized what was happening, and the Lord really spoke, and I was actually able to release a prophetic word regarding that, because I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not just you, it's for people in the room. And so there was a lot of healing that happened through that. But I just, I bring this up just as a constant reminder of this war that we're in. And I know I'm not the only one who faces these little thoughts, these little ideas, these little things that like, well, you know, I know the word of the Lord over my life was this, but, you know, I'm feeling this. It doesn't just feel like it's right. And so you start making these little decisions, these subtle changes that really take you off what you should be doing. And so it's good for us to take inventory of where we're at just so we can, um, like, take our thoughts caption, captive, and so our, uh, our mindsets align with, the, with, with Christ. Amen? So today, um, we have another one of these things, these mindsets that come against us, and this is one of those prevalent things. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with, well, it's up there anyway. Mark 8.15. Well, actually, let me, let me set up the scripture. So Jesus and his disciples, uh, they had just gotten finished feeding the second large crowd of people miraculously. The first time, I think they, they fed about 4,000 men plus women and children. The second time, this time, they fed about 4,000 men and women. They had food left over. We know the story. There wasn't any food to begin with, hardly any food to begin with. And the food was multiplied, and it was just a miraculous thing. And so here, the disciples get in... Um, uh, and then, and then after this thing, that the Pharisees come, who are the religious leaders of the day, and they start kind of asking Jesus some questions. And they're like, "Well, if you really are the, you know, some God, why don't you show us a sign?" And Jesus said, "I'm not going to show you guys any signs," as if they didn't just see what happened. So, what, what are they, what kind of other sign are they actually looking for? Which is interesting because this is this thing that is so pervasively in their face that God just did this thing, and yet they're asking for something else. It's like, how does that not convince you that God, that Jesus is God, that, he, that God is moving through him? And so, um, so Jesus and the disciples, they hop in the boat. And it's an interesting thing that, that Mark 8 mentions. It says, the disciples got in the boat and they forgot to bring bread, which is kind of a random thought, like, and except, except for one loaf. Uh, but it was trying to get to a point, I guess. But it's just kind of a random, like, piece of information. Okay, so they didn't bring bread with them. I mean, I'm sure that probably happened a lot. But anyway, Jesus then turns to his disciples in the boat, and he says this thing, because they just, again, just finished this interaction with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and he says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
And the disciples look around at each other and they're like, dude, we forgot the bread. <laughs> Jesus knows we forgot the bread. And they're like, all right, who's, 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 uh, whose responsibility was the bread? Judas, you forgot to bring the bread this time. Man, and they, they just like railed on him. And then Jesus heard them kind of like whispering and kind of trying to figure out like, how are we going to get bread? We only have this one thing. As is, again, they didn't just see the fact that all this bread was multiplied in front of them. But here they are. They're like complaining because they didn't even really understand what Jesus was saying with this scripture. They're like, uh, we don't have bread. And Jesus turns to them like, guys, you're still not getting this, are you? You're not understanding. You're just seeing things on the surface level. And you're not understanding what's behind this whole thing. And today we're going to talk about what's behind this whole thing. And this is what Jesus was talking about there. When he talks about the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And this speaks of the, the, both the religious spirit and the political spirit, which are two things that are very per- pervasive in uh, not only in church, but just all over. It's just one of these things. You don't have to be religious to fall into the religious spirit. In fact, I know a lot of um, atheists who are much more religious about their atheism than we are about Jesus. I mean, you see like those signs you walk on the front of the porches, we believe this and we believe that and we believe that. You know, that's, that's them preaching their atheism, right? And so there's a religious spirit that is pervasive everywhere. And then this political spirit obviously is one of those things that we all understand is there. It's, it's a tough thing. How many people love politics? Mm. <laughs> Even if you love politics, you wouldn't want to admit it. I like aspects of the politics, and I, I'm believing that it, it, uh, it's going to be redeemed. It needs to be redeemed. Um, and that's not to say that our answer is in man's ideas. Our answer is in Christ. However, we want Jesus to influence our politics as well. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, which is the Passover, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul is encouraging us right now just to take an inventory of what are those things in our lives, those leavens, those mindsets in our lives that have become part of us that we don't even realize that we're falling under. And we have to get rid of those things. We have to recognize them. We have to reject them. We have to throw them out. And so we are walking in uh, the mind of Christ and not walking in this political and religious spirit. So what is leaven? How many people bake out here? You all know it? I have a few bakers. Well, you don't need to know what leaven is to bake. It's basically, it's a substance. Uh, oftentimes yeast, it's used for dough to r- make it rise and fluffy and um, because everyone likes that kind of bread, right? People don't like, like, you know, flat bread very much. How many, uh, I, I won't go there. Um, you know, it's another interesting uh, definition is it's something that permeates and modifies in order to bring transformation. Say it again. Say it again. Something that permeates 
and modifies in order to bring transformation. Did you know, when we actually make this point when we're doing the the School of City Transformation, that uh, us, the body of Christ, is not the only people on this earth who is looking to transform the earth. There's a lot of ideas out there that is looking to transform things, a lot of man-made ideas, but also the enemy comes in. He has his idea of what transformation looks like, and it's complete, it doesn't look anything like what we want. And so he tries to put things in our lives, this yeast in our lives makes us make these little subtle compromises or subtle agreements with what he is thinking, and so it becomes pervasive in our lives, and that's why we do have to take these thoughts captive. And we have to take an inventory, and we have to align our minds with Christ. Um, and it's an interesting thing when people come to the Lord. Uh, two, two of the things that really take, I, in my experience as well, maybe not your experience, but I've seen it time and time again, that two of the things that people really have a hard time letting go of is this religious spirit, but also the political spirit. They can agree for transformation in their lives, but it's just this political thing and this religious thing just hangs on, and they don't even really want to admit it's hanging on. And I and I say this: we're it's this isn't really going to be a political message today. I mean, I'm not going to really dive deep into that, but I will say this one thing about it. Uh, if your politics, I don't care where your politics are today does not matter to me. Well, it does matter to me, but regardless of where your politics were when you, when you got saved, when you received Christ, if they are the same today as they were before you met Christ, you are in error. Yeah. I don't care where your politics are or where. Jesus transforms your mind and your thoughts. So if you're still voting the exact same way you were before you received Christ, you're not inviting him into that. And we'll, I, I know how much we're going to go back into that, but um, again... Silence. Don't tell me who to vote for. Okay, that's, it's your choice. It really is your choice. But man, I, in my experience, I've seen time and time again, people hold on to this thing. It's this identity thing. I don't understand it. Jesus does. But Jesus is looking for our entire life, and that includes our politics. Um. So the religious spirit and the political spirit, they are siblings. They were both conceived from their father, the spirit of pride. And it's really important that we do not battle these things on their playing field. You know, the political spirit and the, and the religious spirit will entice you to come and engage them the, 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 the religious spirit will say, hey, let's debate, let's talk about this, this thing about, you know, God and, you know, all these things. And then, and then the political spirit, we, we've all been there. We've all been, like, enticed to come and, like, talk about our viewpoints. But those battles will never be won against the, those spirits if we battle them in that same spirit. And so we have to set the tone, we have to set the playing field and take it above those points, and two of the ways we can do that is if we communicate and we speak in love and honor. And anytime we know that, we are know we are in God's playing field. And those spirits hate love and honor because they're completely the antithesis of what those things are. So, but before we actually go into how do we battle these things, we have to understand what these things are. We have to recognize these things and there's characteristics so we can, uh, so we are equipped to make sure that we see it in other people. 
<laughs> Thank you. Someone got it. Yes. No, 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 no. That if if I left it right there, that is the that is the religious spirit saying, "Look at those people. Those people are operating under the religious spirit." Well, yes, okay. No, we have to we have to take ownership of this thing. It's something we all do. We all have these little subtle things that we fall under, and so we need to identify this so we can recognize it and so in our own lives and repent and ask the Lord to come and cleanse us and give us a fresh perspective. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, They do carry similar characteristics, but they are distinctive in how they operate. So first, the religious spirit or the religious mindset, because we're talking about mindsets. Colossians 2, 20 through 23, I think we have that up there. It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Matthew 15, Jesus is again having one of these interactions um, with people who are asking, you know, why, why do your disciples do this and why do your disciples do that? And he starts asking a, a bunch of questions about the religious game that they're playing. At the end of that, in Matthew 15, 8, says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. We've all been there, man. We've all done this. It's, it's an easy thing to fall under, and it's something we need to make sure that we are shored up. So religious spirits endeavor to interfere with the, interfere with the free flow of the Holy Spirit in the lives of us, but, I mean, that, that's its goal. It's, it's to, 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 to have a disconnect with the Holy Spirit because, honestly, if we're, if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, then obviously we're not being led by the spirit of religion. And so its goal is to separate us from hearing clearly, from seeing the Holy Spirit and being led. But this is, it's really hard to recognize for a number of, relig- for a number of reasons because, first of all, it's religious, and so we are not necessarily in the religion game, but we, we are. We talk about Jesus, we talk about God, and we love this, right? We love to talk about the Lord and what he's doing in our lives. And oftentimes the religious spirit masks itself in religious talk, but it also has this pious feeling about it. it has, it's very hyper-spiritual. Um, and I don't know about you, but anytime I have conversations with people who are like are very learned or just talk about God all the time, I just I do feel intimidated. I feel like, man, am I missing something? I mean, do, are they getting it? Like getting a bunch of stuff that I don't. How many people have experienced that with a super hyper spiritual person? You're you're like, oh wow, those guys are. And then you, you got to catch yourself, which is interesting because I can smell a religious spirit from a mile away, and yet I still kind of sometimes fall prey under this thing. Um, there was there was a gentleman who uh, who was in our church a number of years ago, and uh, uh, he he loved he loved just talking spiritual stuff, just everything, every conversation, everything was just hyper spiritual. This hyper spiritual that, 
And it's just like, every time he talked, you couldn't just have a normal conversation with this person, right? What was also interesting is uh, he was chasing after whatever God was doing in the area. And so he had actually left his family in a different state to do that. And so every time he starts engaging me in these conversations, I just start asking him, so what's going on with your family? What's going on with your, your sons and, and, and your wife? It's like, oh, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're back home. And, you know, it's just, you know, this and that. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, next week have a conversation and, you know, hyper-spiritual, all this stuff. Hey, what's going on with your family? Oh, you know, whatever. You know, they're back, they're back home. And finally, I just said, you know what? Listen, you're out of order. You're chasing spiritual things when you are neglecting what God has put right in front of you. Your first call is to your family, and yet you've abandoned them to find this spiritual experience. And uh, I don't, he didn't really like it very much. But, I, but praise the Lord, I, I did see that he, he moved back home and he's with his family now. So praise the Lord for that. And, um, but I'm just, I'm saying it's an easy thing to do because he's not the only person. I've had that experience with actually a lot of different people. In fact, another guy didn't really want to do anything with his family because he's just chasing out the Lord. It's just this hyper-spiritual thing like, like you can't be a real person. You can't have a, a normal conversation. Everything has to be like hyper-spiritual about, what did God speak to me this morning? Well, that's good. We can have those conversations as those are great. But if those are the only conversations we ever have, I think we might have stuff a little bit out of order. You guys understand that. So its uh, influence can pervade a person's life in a church like yeast pervades dough. We just talked about that scripture, but Jesus actually says it in a different way, in a different place. In Matthew 16, it says, take heed and beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And again, that is that, that uh, religious spirit. So as individuals and churches, we are called to live a prophetically led life. Do we, can we agree with that? All right. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I don't have to preach to you because we understand this. There's so many scriptures. We have to be in tune to the Holy Spirit. We need to live prophetically on that edge. However, the true prophetic uh, anointing of a person or a church will be hijacked. It will be hijacked with a prophetic, prophetic, a counterfeit prophetic anointing if it's under the spirit of religion. The enemy, the reason is because that thought, that those thought processes pervade kind of everything you, your, your, your grid and everything you process information with. And so even though you may be receiving some information from the Lord, but the interpretation or how to give it is going to be skewed through this spirit of religion. And so it's important that we are not operating in this because we are a prophetic church. We are a prophetic people. We are called to affect change out there. And yet if we're operating under this, it will shift and it'll change how we give these prophetic utterances to people and how we release that. Because it operates under suspicion. It has agendas tied to it. Uh, it's, and it's often motivated, motivated by a spirit of offense. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really easy thing to do. You know, you, you can see, you know, Joe, Joe Schmo out there doing stuff that, you know, is not a really good thing. So instead of um, going up and 
talking to him personally and just kind of seeing where he's at and just loving on him and just kind of walking through that process of like seeing maturity come, you, you get up on church and start prophesying against that very thing he's doing. It's a, it happens. It happens a lot. People much rather stand up here and just give a general word that you hope it hits this person. You're actually speaking specifically to a person in a general way. That's being manipulative, and that is a counterfeit prophetic spirit, and that's not what we want to do, right? So in Matthew 23, 1 through 7, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. And this is an interesting point. So Jesus is here. This, this whole chapter is actually really, uh, it really dives into this whole thing about the religious spirit. It kind of calls out the, the Pharisees and, and what they've been doing, all the religious leaders and, and all the hypocrisy stuff that they've been doing. But he starts out and he's telling the people, you must be careful to do everything they tell you. So he's, he's not saying, listen, everything they tell you is wrong. Not doing the right thing is not wrong. It's not a wrong thing to want righteousness, but how you go about doing it and the motives is what Jesus is talking about here. And so oftentimes people can say, man, you just have a religious spirit in you and they just don't like the fact that you are chasing after God's righteousness. Like, you make choices in your life to not do certain things because you know that that affects you, and people are going to call you and like, oh, you're just a religious person. You have a religious, that's not a religious spirit. That is wanting the righteousness of God to refine us. It's completely different than someone who says, oh, you shouldn't do those things, but still does them, or the person who does it, who wants to do those things just so they can look good. Those are the motivations of that. And so Jesus is making sure he's telling the people, listen, what they're saying is good, so don't not do it. Do it still. But then he goes on, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And then he goes in all these things, that they, all these religious exercises that they do. And um, So anyway, at the uh, second half of that scripture, Jesus gives us like, I don't know if you have your, your Bible, it says seven woes. Uh, and he gives these seven woes to the Pharisees. And I just started that kind of diving into these things. And these are seven characteristics of the religious spirit. And maybe you guys will recognize some of these things in yourself. I recognize some of it in mine as well. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk about these things. And the first thing in Matthew 23, if you have your Bibles, you can. Par- we're going to park there for a couple minutes. The first thing the spirit of religion does, it operates in fear and control over love and freedom. Verse 13 says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Their way, the spirit of religion, believes that their way is the only way. And so if someone else is trying to do it a different way, they, they're in error. They need to come back. Have you guys ever been told that? And we all have different religious and church experiences, and I know we've gone through some good and bad ones, but this is it's our, our way or the highway. I don't care if you're having fruit in your life. If you're not doing it the way we do it, then it's the wrong way. The second thing the spirit of religion does is it values conformity 
over consecration. Verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you succeed, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So the spirit of religion would rather you look like it than Christ. The third thing it does, it values contract over covenant. Verse 16 through 22, Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. That's harsh. Jesus is awesome here. I just love, I love Jesus when here. This is so good. Oh, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by the oath. Just semantics. All this stuff is just like you know, rules... You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So, they love contracts. They don't like covenant. They like what's written down. They like... Okay, X plus Y equals C. They love formulas, but they don't like the, re- the, the relationship part behind that because the relationship part is not terribly defined. It leaves room for not controlling people. But when you have an X plus Y, if you have a formula that the spirit of religion wants you to fall under, it can easily control you. But the minute you start like exploring, well... Okay, that's a good principle, but Lord, what's behind it? Lord, I want to know you in the middle of this thing. Then you start looking to the Holy Spirit instead of looking to a formula. Number four, the religious spirit values rules over righteousness. Yes, come on. What's the difference? It's a good question. Verse 23 through 24, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. They like their self-righteousness over God's righteousness. They like to follow these little rules to the T so they can say, look what we did. This reminds me of Isaiah 58, which is a super important scripture for our house. It's been something we've preached on all this time. All these religious people were doing all these fasts to try to get God's attention, you know, doing all these things, and, and yet they were neglecting the very people in front of them to take care of. And then Isaiah says, Or God says to the people, is this not the fast I've called you to? And so the religious spirit says, well, I'm I'm crossing all the T's, I'm I'm doing all the right things, but I'm neglecting 
the important things right in front of me. The fifth thing it does, it values charisma over character. Verse 25 through 26, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, you clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. They emphasize what's seen from the outside and completely ignore what's going on the inside. That's how you have really quote-unquote powerful people who have quote-unquote huge ministries who are so lacking in character, but they have a gift of charisma that people just follow after. We don't... The body of Christ has, has lost perspective. They don't know the difference between anointing and, char- and charisma. It's because you can know the anointing when you're with the anointed one. And there's been such a lack of intimacy, lack of with, in the church as a whole, with God. And so what they see, they see these charismatic people and they say, oh, that guy must be an anointed. Because they can't recognize the presence of God if it hit him in the face. This is a call for us to fall right back into the arms of Jesus. God, we've got to know you. We have to know what's genuine and what's a counterfeit. The sixth thing it does is it values pride over humility. Verse 27 through 28, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We're going to come back here in just a minute, but this is a powerful one, and I think this is one that really we can fall under in the body of Christ in church culture. And that's this thing that we must always show on the outside that it's all good. Because we don't have permission to be vulnerable and say, no, it's not all good. Church culture, and it's not stated, and you know, some, some places are much more this so, and, and I know in this house we value people regardless of where they're at, but it still is this pervading, pervasive thought that we have to put up a good face or else we might lose I don't know, place, lose, like people might look down at us or whatever that is, whatever that lie is, we, we feel like we don't have permission to be vulnerable and say it's not all good. We have to put these masks up. And I'm going to come back here in just a second because this is important. I feel like this is actually where God wants to do some healing Well, in a lot of different places, but this is one of the main things. The seventh thing that the, the religious spirit does is it, it values, or not value, it, it creates division over unity. 
In verse 29 through 36, what do you teach of the law of Pharisees? You hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, only if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have shed their blood. At the end, Jesus says, yes, you certainly would have, and you are still accountable for what you've done. But this is what the religious spirit does. It creates an us and them. It it creates a, we wouldn't do it that way. We would do it right. Everyone else is doing it wrong. We have the answers. We have, you know, only if everyone could have their church services just like us the world would be better because we have the answers. <laughs> God, help us. God, help us. Just, there's more characteristics Whenever you see legalism, criticism, someone wants to debate, strong opinions, judgmentalism, they produce guilt, they produce fear, they produce pride. These are all things that happen when people are entering into the spirit of religion. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to do with this sucker. It's, it's, it's not good. It's subtle. It can be subtle. It can also be in your face. I think, honestly, on the West Coast, it can be much more subtle than some older, um, well-established, like, older areas of, of the country that have, I don't know, you can, I don't know, whatever. We, we all have the spirit of religion, right? We all have to deal with this in our own ways. And honestly, we don't have any time right now to get to the political stuff, and we'll have to come back to that. I guess we're always always waiting for that, right? Maybe I'll just tell you this. This is who you should vote for. (laughs) And then we don't have to talk about anything, and then just do what I tell you to do, and it's all going to be good. I mean, there's like no control at all there, right? Boy, the world would be a better place if it just did what I thought. Hmm. How many people have come across the spirit of religion in your life? If you're in church, you've come across it. If you knew it or not, how many people have operated in the spirit of religion? God wants to break off right now that lie that says you have to be all good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, right? We're trying to grow in Christ and and our perspective, and even in James, is counted all joy when you enter into trials, right? And so there is a level of speaking faith into a situation, but that's different than like, I'm coming to church hurting, I need to talk to someone, but I can't talk to anyone because if I tell them what I'm going through, 
it's just not going to end up well because the enemy has convinced you that you have to show a good face. The thing has to come down. We have to be an honest people. If we want healing, if we want wholeness in our life, if we truly want to walk in that with Christ, then we have to be willing to go down that road with someone in trust. And I'm believing that our house is going to be a religion-free zone. You guys ready for that? Except for, isn't it James that said what true religion is? Yeah, we, we like that part. Taking care of wi- widows, widows and orphans and widows, yeah. So we'll do that. We'll do that part of the religion. Everything else we won't, okay? Let's stand up together. I'm just going to read these really quickly, just so we know what we're praying over. And as these things hit you, ask the Holy Spirit, God, Holy Spirit, what are these things that I've operated in or am still operating in that I need, A, to repent from and cleanse from and shift my perspective so I'm operating not on the playing field of the, the, the spirit of religion, but operating out of the opposite. Have you operated out of fear and control versus love and freedom? Ask the Holy Spirit. Have you fallen under conformity over consecration? Have you valued a contract, a contractual relationship over a covenantal relationship? Do you look at life through a grid of rules versus righteousness? Have you valued charisma or the gifts over character? How about pride over humility? Have you found yourself creating division instead of unity? So some of these things may hit a little harder on you than others, but right now, as the Holy Spirit is highlighting these things, we're not going to have an altar call for every single one of these things because there's a lot, and there's a lot of things about it. And I think, honestly, if everyone wasn't up here on the altar for the altar call for this one, I'd be surprised because we all deal with this thing. We've all been affected. Maybe we don't even think that we're operating it too much. It's just these little subtle things that the enemy comes in. So Lord, today we come before you. Let's just, let's come before him with our hearts. Let's ask him for a new perspective, a new, new eyes to see and ears to hear where these things have crept into our lives, where we've believed the lies, where we've operated out of the spirit of religion versus the spirit of love and honor. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord, that you would come. You would highlight those things. Jesus, I pray that you would cleanse our heart or cleanse our mind. We repent, Lord, of the agreements that we've made with this spirit. Lord, we repent of the damage that we've caused because we've operated out of these things. And, and maybe it wasn't because we really wanted to. Maybe we, were just, we just got ourselves caught up in whatever the influence was. Forgive us, Jesus.
Wash us clean today. Lord, let there be nothing of these spirits inside of us. But Lord, only you. Only you. Holy Spirit, only you. Give us the mind of Christ today. And the last thing right now. I just pray over you a confidence. We cut off... We cut off the lie of the enemy that says you cannot be vulnerable with people. We cut off the lie of the enemy that says you have to put on a good face. We cut off the lie of the enemy that has created a division, that has created you not looking out and and, and reaching out for someone because you feel... Pride tells you that you can't. Pride tells you you can't let people know you struggle. Pride tells you that if you let people in and let people know what's going on in your life, you're going to lose a place or you're going to lose position or you're going to lose the way people think about you. We cut off in the name of Jesus the spirit of pride. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, you would clothe us with humility. So we welcome honesty, Lord. We welcome, Lord, vulnerability. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that work in our heart today. Lord, as these things keep creeping in and trying to influence again, Lord, we would recognize them for what they do and we reject them. And I thank you, Lord, that this house is a religion-free zone except for the orphans and widows. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love the work you've done in our lives, Lord, that you continue to do, Lord. You're so full of grace and mercy. And your invitation is to into a deeper place in your heart. And so we say yes to that. Jesus, let us know you more intimately. Thank you, Lord. Go with us this week. We love you. Amen. Thank you for downloading from Father's House City Ministries, Portland, Oregon. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Father's House City Ministries at www.fathershouseportland.org. Thank you.